Thanks for tuning in to the Do Justice Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Allred. Today's episode is the first in a series of conversations we plan to have on the topic of religious minorities in America. And today, we take a look at a faith tradition that many Americans are unfamiliar with, Sikhism. The Sikh tradition was founded over 500 years ago in the Punjab region of South Asia. According to the Sikh coalition, there are more than 25 million Sikhs living around the world. Sikhs have been living here in the United States since the late 1800s, and there are an estimated 500,000 Sikhs living in America today. The core principle of Sikhism is to promote love and oneness and do justice in the world. But unfortunately, Sikhs are often the target of hate crimes here in America. I wanted to find out more about what it's like to be a Sikh in America, and so I called up two people. In the first part of today's episode, I call up Jadeep Dillon. Jadeep is a friend of mine from the days when I was a pastor in Sacramento, California. Then, I wanted to find out more about the challenges Sikhs face from a legal and civil rights perspective. Har Simran Kar, who is the senior counsel at the Sikh Coalition, graciously agreed to come on the podcast and provide those details for us in the second part of today's episode. Take a listen. J.D. Dillon, thanks so much for joining me today on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Steve. So tell us a little bit about yourself. How long have you been Sikh? And um, did you grow up in this country? Uh, give us a little bit more about more history about yourself. Yeah, I, uh, I didn't grow up I, in the country. I was born in, um, in India, north, northern India, the state of Punjab, which is well, the uh, you know kind of epicenter of uh, the global Sikh diaspora. You know, it's it's where the the religion originated and started, and and uh, so I was born there um, and came over when I was yeah less than a year old, and uh, basically have grown up here. Um, but uh, I was the religion is something I was born into, so my. You know, my parents, my, my family, uh, it was something I was, you know, immersed in you know, from you know, really from birth. So tell us about Sikhism. What if you want to boil it down in a nutshell for our listeners, uh, what would you tell them about the Sikh faith? Uh, you know, really boiled down. It's a, it's really just a belief in, in a, a singular God, you know, and, and, and it's, you know, Ik Omkar is the kind of the you know the, the opening uh, opening words in our, our holy text, which mean you know one the creator or, or God is one, you know however you want to interpret it. Um, but just the idea that there is you know it's uh, you know one God and, and you know, we're all equal in His eyes, and you know we, everybody should uh, come to realize that, uh, and it, that's how it was taught by the, the gurus who were the uh, you know, the original teachers. And, and there's really three pillars uh, that Guru Nanak, who was the first guru that, that he, uh, you know, advocated for, you know, working uh, honestly, you know, by the sweat of your brow, as he would say. And, and uh, you know, the householder lifestyle was what was, um, you know, kind of put forth as the ideal situation for a person, you know, living a householder lifestyle, as opposed to being, you know, at that time, there were a lot of you know, Hinduism was the uh, prominent religion, and so there was this idea that you had to, right, uh, push away, you know, the worldly attachments, and you know, go live in a cave and meditate all day, and that's the way you're going to attain liberation and, and 
uh, you know, a team and a guard, but there was a, with the and the gurus. It was like, no, no, you gotta, you know, it's, it's really more realistic to, to, you know, live a household or a lifestyle, have a family, but still also, you know, have a, a connection with God and meditate and, 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 and never forget that spiritual side either. Uh, so along with that, there was also this idea of meditating, Nam Japana, which is another pillar, you know, so repeating God's name. So meditation is a big part of uh, Sikhism. So that was uh, uh, something that's um, definitely, you know, uh, a big aspect of it. And then uh, the third pillar is, you know, Vand Shakana, which is sharing what you have, right? So whatever you earn, whatever that you you're able to acquire to, to share it with people around you, share it with, you know, maybe others that are less fortunate. There's this idea that the, you know, we go to the Gordwara, which is our, our temple. And that means Gordwara means the guru's door. Right. So, mm-hmm. and, and so there's, if you've ever been to one, I don't know if you have, you ever visited it? I have. Yeah. I've been to a couple of them. Yeah. So the, you know, you, the, the kitchen, right. So the kitchen mm-hmm. is always open, free food. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's a completely volunteer. It's good. It's good. It is a little right? spicy, but, but good. Yeah. It can be, it can be. And, and, but it's, uh, that, that is, uh, that, uh, aspect of the religion and the teaching being, uh, played out and, and, and mm. that is right. Mm. So, so yeah, so remembering God working honestly and, uh, li- you know, living truthfully and, and, and then you know, helping others. So it's really, you know, real basic <laughs> ethics. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. Ethical yeah. way to live. Yeah. Yeah. And then beyond that, I mean, we can sit here and talk for, and I'm really not an expert uh, by no means, but I mean, we can get into you know, a lot more, you know, the teachings, but at a higher level, I mean, at a thousand foot level, I mean, that really, you know, got it. The, yeah. So of it. how would you describe your relation to Sikhism? You were uh, born into the faith. Um, are you, would you describe yourself as an observant Sikh or, I mean, have you been baptized? I know there's different, uh, observances when it comes to like external things, like some, uh, Sikh folks will wear, uh, head coverings or turbans. Some will wear bracelets and the little, uh, is it the kirpan, the little dagger? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I would consider myself an adherent. I would consider myself as somebody who definitely tries to live by the teachings of the gurus. And, and I, I, you know, we go to the Goldwater every weekend and, Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm, you know, uh, Outwardly, I don't look like a Sikh, so I cut my hair, right? And mm-hmm. I, I don't have a, a beard. I don't wear a turban. But those are, uh, you know, requirements, you know, of the religion. I'm not baptized. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a baptismal ceremony that one can go through. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely not uh, you know, outwardly an idealistic, uh, you know, uh, Sikh and, and, and not somebody that's reached any sort of a pinnacle, you know, within the faith as somebody who practices the faith, but yeah, no, I'd consider myself, uh, an observant. So, so if somebody sees a Sikh person who is, um, you know, like a baptized Sikh, normally they'd be wearing like a turban. Is that correct? Yeah. They uh, would normally, normally they'd be, uh, they'd be wearing a turban. They would have uns- well, they, you know, unshorn hair, uncut hair. So they would have uh, a beard. Okay. They would have uh, under the turban uh, hair, usually wrapped around into a knot. Um, uh, uh, on their um, arm, uh, there would be a bracelet or a kara, which is I actually wear one of those. I do have one of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so, right, so I'm a I'm a one fifth sick. <laughs> I, got one, I got one out of five. So, 
the Kirpan, just like you say. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also um, uh, Kachera, which is uh, you know these, these uh, I guess under briefs that you would wear okay. right? under under your pants, you know, shorts. Um, uh, is that everything? Is that that's five, right? Yeah. So um, yeah, so those are the kind of the five articles of faith, and each one has its own significance and and, and reason for being. So um, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so we stand out, right? So we stand out, uh, and that, that is on purpose. That's on that's on purpose. I mean, the the tenth guru, Guru Gobind Singh Ji, um, who uh, was the last, I guess, physical guru, right? So now the eternal guru is the Guru Granth Sahib, which is the the text, right? So that's all the teachings, writings of the gurus and other, uh, you know, Hindu and Muslim, uh, you know, holy people. Uh, they're uh, saints and fakirs, and they have their writings in there. Uh, the the tenth guru said, "Hey, you know, we're as as an attempt to really formalize it and 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 show that it is a unique religion. Kind of put these um, these rules into place. That hey, if you're going to be considered a Sikh, you have to you know not cut your hair. You have to you know wear the turban, which really back then turban was a sign of royalty, and 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 for 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 many years." And, and, and during many different time periods in India, you know, if, unless you were part of a certain caste, uh, you know, or, or royal family or what have you, you know, you weren't, if you were wearing a turban, that was a, uh, you know, a potential death sentence, you know, you couldn't just walk around with a turban. So it was kind of a, uh, a rebellious act, really, you know, of, hey, you know, if, if, God, if we believe that God is one and everybody is the same, then, you know, no matter what caste you're from, you, you know, under God's eyes you're royal so you should wear a turban so how has being an adherent to a minority faith affected how you view other minorities uh, minority faiths minorities in general do you feel in any way that that's impacted you in a positive way as far as how you feel you should interact or treat others who also are um, part of of some sort of a minority how does how's that affected how you view them yeah, no, I mean, there's certainly a level of empathy there. There's a certain, you know, uh, understanding of the, uh, you know, like I've made a lot of friends uh, since I've lived out here and, you know, our work with the interfaith uh, community out here that you worked with us on as well many years ago. And, and, and I've been able to meet people of different faiths. And, and one group that I've met is the Baha'is. And there's a... Mm-hmm community of them, you know, all around Sacramento, but here in Elk Grove as well. And that, I mean, the Baha'i, that's a, I had no idea that that was even a religion. I mean, I didn't even know it existed. And uh, it's, it's another, you know, minority religion, I think, uh, originated in Iran. And they have, uh, you know, felt a lot of persecution and gone through a lot of the same turmoil that, uh, you know, Sikhs have gone through in their motherland. And now that they're, you know, they're, they're flourishing here in America and there's a community of them. It's, it's, uh, it's interesting to, uh, you know, to meet somebody like that and see somebody that's gone through, you know, similar situation. Um, and yeah, it's just, uh, I'd say there's a camaraderie there because of that. Mm. Right. What you describe about America and being able to come here and practice your faith, the religious diversity that's here. I think it's it's a beautiful thing, and I'm hearing you say that you know that's one of the reasons that you folks as uh, Sikhs or your parents in your case, right, were attracted to this land was because of the fact that, that they could practice their faith freely here. Yes. Yep. That's neat. Um, so let's just talk to finish up here. How how do you think we can 
support the Sikh community um, in the wake of violence like we saw about a month ago? I mean, because this seems to happen every so often here in, you know, even in America, right? Where, you know, yes, we do enjoy religious freedom, yet you have your, um, your folks who uh, are ignorant and bigoted, hateful, whatever it might be. And so they, they choose to do these, these terrible, um, atrocious acts. How can we support the Sikh community in the wake of, of violence like this? Uh, well, um, you know, back in 2000, I think it was 2008 or 2009, and I don't know if you caught any of the news headlines, there was a similar shooting here in Elk Grove. There were two Sikh, uh, you know, older, older gentlemen that were, that were out, you know, going for a walk like they always did in the evenings and, and you know, some, some random person that, you know, unfortunately they, they haven't been able to catch, you know, shot him, you know, shot him dead. You know, both of them were murdered, um, you know, one, you know, on the spot, another one a month later after uh, being in the hospital. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that was something that really shook the community out here. Uh, and mm-hmm. what I, what I witnessed after that though, was, you know, that happened and there was a, a vigil that was organized, you know, I think it was like a couple of days after the shooting maybe it may have even been the next day and you know i expected that you know there would be their family and some of this you know Sikh families out there some of the members from the gordwara you know this but what i what i saw was i mean it was just an outpouring of of everybody everybody from the community you know the greater elk grove i mean it was there must have been you know a couple of thousand people out there just coming to show support mm, you know that's beautiful it was it yeah. was and so it really shows that yeah these 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 people are out there and you, you got to be wary of them, you know, ignorant people, people that are you know, blinded by, by hate or, or rage or whatever it is that's storming in their brains, right. That causes them to, 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 to do such an act. Um, but I think that what's most helpful is that, uh, you know, number one is you know, educate yourself as much as you can, not just on Sikhism, but just, you know, look, we're, we live in a very you know diverse time and there's lots of different types of people and, and, you know, individuals and communities. And, and so, you know, just try your best to try to learn about your neighbor, you know, whatever that is. And these days, there's really no excuse for, <laughs> for not learning. You right. Know, right. You got the whole world. If you've got a computer, you've got the whole world at your, your fingertips, you know? Um, and, and, you know, number two, you know, just like that, when, when something does happen, if, if you have a, a neighbor that's affected, you know, by hate like that, uh, you know, sometimes it's just, all, it's just, it's just showing that, that you support them and that you're there and that, you know, that they're not alone. And, and that goes a long way. It goes, a it goes a really long way. So. Awesome. Yeah. Hey, thanks Jay. Thanks so much for talking today. Um, taking some time yeah. to just give us a little window into your life as, um, as a Sikh here in America. Simran Carr, thanks so much for joining me today. And you are the senior counsel at the Seat Coalition. Um, you've been there for a number of years. Uh, what is the Seat Coalition, and and what do you do there? Uh, the Seat Coalition. First of all, thanks for having me, Steve. Uh, the Seat Coalition is uh, a civil rights organization. Uh, we were founded by um, uh, founded on the night of September 11, 2001, in response to the torrent of violent attacks against Sikh Americans throughout the United States. And in those early days, we were simply just a group of 
six students and prof professionals who were trying to protect the community and bring the public and government's attention to the civil rights abuses that six were facing. Um, and now, you know, we are a fully staffed, we have about 12 to 15 staff members um, organization. Um, we are the largest sick American legal advocacy and community development organization in the United States. Um, we work with the community, we work in the courtroom, the classrooms, the halls of Congress uh, to protect our constitutional right to practice our faith without fear. Um, but we strive to do this with the broader community and with integrity, with selflessness, and with the belief that our shared work holds a greater purpose. That's neat. What What are the uh, statistics on the number of Sikh um, people, uh, adherents to the Sikh religion, living in the United States right now? Approximately. So no one, yeah, no one knows for sure, but the estimates are about half a million. Okay, so it's a fairly large, uh, you know, religious group. And I actually used to live and work in Yuba City, California, which mm -hmm. has a Very fairly large. large. Yeah, I don't yeah, even know, 60. probably fifty thousand or something uh, Sikh Americans there. So, so this is a. And, and does your work mainly focus on uh, the United States here or internationally? Oh yes, we have limited our focus just to the United States. Um, okay. Otherwise, you know, we would. We're hoping that our work here is sort of a role model for other countries and other community, communities around the world. So what are some of the biggest challenges that you see faced by people of, of minority faiths, adherence to a minority religious faiths uh, in 2019 here in the U.S.? And, and you're, you're probably going to see this more from the perspective of, you know, Sikhism, but maybe speak even a little more broadly than that. What are some of the biggest challenges you see right now? Um, you know, obviously, we religious minority communities, especially uh, communities like ours, where um, people uh, maintain religious headwear, are sort of vis visibly different. Mm -hmm. um, face just disproportionate amounts of bias and discrimination um, that comes from the public, from the government. Um, those are things, and some of the the types of discrimination that we prioritize in terms of. Um, taking legal cases are things like hate violence, hate crimes, discrimination in the workplace, and bias-based bullying and harassment in schools. Um, but I think, you know, all of this is not happening in a vacuum. And, mm -hmm. you know, the tone at the top matters. And in terms of the biggest challenge, it's just, you know, it's it's this, there has been an increase in hate, hate backlash and discrimination against six and other minority communities. And, I, you know, I believe it's the results of very divisive political rhetoric by our president and other elected officials mm -hmm. and the sort of concurred, concurrent bigoted policymaking that's been uh, happening, like the Muslim ban, the, mm -hmm. the tightening of immigration law and policy that really um, seeks to scapegoat communities um, and limit rights as opposed to um, promote and uplift and expand the rights of of historically disenfranchised and um, oppressed communities. So some listeners might be thinking that this is really rare to have hate crimes in America. Um, well, I know personally that just reading the news and not even being tuned in, perhaps like you are to you know your particular community of faith, but um, back in August uh, of this year, 2019, right here in Northern California, Tracy, California, not far from where I live and work, um, there was a 64-year-old uh, Sikh gentleman who was brutally stabbed to death. Well, he was just out walking. 
And, um, and there have been other stories like that here in, in California and the States. So how often do these types of things happen? You know, specifically hate crimes, uh, violent hate crimes, even, um, is this something that is rare, common? Um, it, it is fairly common, and I can share some statistics in a minute, but I want to take a step back because actually the data we have um, is very limited and, and has its own sort of um, – we don't know if it's fully accurate, but mm-hmm. the FBI has only been tracking hate crimes against six since 2015. Um, that's something that the community – advocated for for years um and for so for so long we knew anecdotally that our community was being disproportionately subject to hate violence um and we just didn't have the data to be able to say to the federal government listen you have to take us seriously because this is happening it was just anecdotal and so we actually as an organization um conducted our own surveys of the community in 20 2008 and 2010 we had surveyed 1006 in New York City and 1006 in the Bay Area and we learned as a result of those, both those surveys, either 9 to 10% of respondents were saying that they'd been subject to hate violence, wow. which is a huge amount. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we had we had been asking the federal government as a community since 2009 to start tracking hate crimes against six. They just, there simply was no sort of anti-sick hate crime category in the, in the, in the FBI's um, form for tracking uh, hate crimes. Um, in 2012, there was the... Oak Creek um, shooting in a sick in Wisconsin where a neo-Nazi came in and mm. shot and killed six mm. congregants. Mm. That sort of helped, uh, I think, underscore the urgency of our ask, and the federal government agreed to then uh, begin collecting specific data on six. And so we have the data from 2015 to 2017, um, and actually the 2018 data is going to come out next week. Um, but 2015, the FBI um, col- uh, had six reported anti-sick hate crimes. 20, that was 2015. 2016, seven reported anti-sick hate crimes. And then 2017, it jumps up to 24. Um, so there was a huge increase. Um, and, you know, I, I think that part of that increase, you know, again, is sort of the result of the divisive rhetoric that we've been hearing from our elected leaders. Um, but the thing about those statistics also is that they are far from being perfect because we know there are many obstacles in collecting that data. You know, the first is just simply having victims coming forward who may not be comfortable going to the police when a hate crime has happened, whether it's, you know, concern about immigration issues or people coming from immigrant backgrounds where law enforcement just, they just don't trust law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Um, when victims do come forward, obviously, you know, it is harder to, a lot of times law enforcement may not recognize that, you know, being called, um, uh, you know, something like terrorist, you know, it, it is, is, uh, evidence of bias. So recognizing it and then investigating and prosecuting it, it's harder to prosecute hate crimes because you have to prove intent. Um, Those are sort of other obstacles. But then most importantly, even with these FBI statistics, um, no law enforcement agencies are actually required to submit the statistics. It's all, that submission is all voluntary. Mm. Um, So you know, my belief is that there is likely undercounting and the actual problem is much greater, but that, that is the data that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and so who, 
do we know who's committing the majority of these crimes? I mean, you mentioned the Oak Creek uh, situation where there was like a white supremacist. Um, who's who's perpetrating these crimes? You know, I mean, perpetrators are people of all different backgrounds, different races, different ages. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's no, I, you know, it's, I think it's hard to sort of typecast this as sort of like a white neo-Nazi because mm-hmm. it's, it's not that that's the minority. And like I said, people of all different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And, and just for the record, um, you know, I don't think, are there any statistics of a Sikh, uh, adherent to the Sikh religion ever committing a terrorist act on American soil? Um, not that, no, not that I'm aware of. <laughs> and no. I asked that because, no. you know, I think a lot of people, you know, after, after 9-11 especially, um, and there were some terrible things that happened, uh, to Sikh Americans right around that time, as I recall. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of people were thinking, oh, this is a, a Muslim and I'm going to, you know, take, take it out on this Muslim person, which that's a whole different issue, you know, whether or not, um, terrorists, the majority of terrorist attacks again on American soil actually have been perpetrated by people of the Muslim faith, but or Islam, but you know when it comes to um, the groups getting mixed up, that's something that probably happens quite a bit. Would you do you think that's the case? Well, so you know, for the Sikh community, it's been important for us to sort of reject the mistaken identity framework because yeah. um, you know it may be that there are some cases where Sikhs are attacked because they're Muslim, but mm-hmm. most importantly. And irrespective of that, no individual, no community deserves to be attacked. And as six, we mm. cannot engage in that scapegoating of, mm-hmm. you know, this person, this was deserved or this was somehow retaliation. I mean, you know, you know that uh, the incidents of white supremacists targeting, you know, whether it was um, last year, the synagogue in Pittsburgh or, you know, the Oak Creek um, uh, Gurdwara. I mean, you know, these are white males, but you know, we're not, uh, our communities are not going out and sort of retaliating against white males who commit heinous acts. And you right. can't, you know, you just, you can't fall into that trap um, of scapegoating or, and we, we very much reject that mistaken identity framework. And, and I appreciate that because yeah, it's, it is, um, I think what I see you folks doing is basically standing up for a principle or you're saying, this is wrong, period, right? It's not just yes. wrong if you do it to us. It's also wrong if you do it to a Muslim American. Absolutely, absolutely. So what are what do you think, you know, in your position, you have a very, um, I think, a really good vantage point to understand what's happening here with especially uh, adherence to the Sikh faith uh, when it comes to these issues. What do you think religious minorities like Sikhs can do to fight back against hate crimes and against discrimination and against these um, ideas that are are popping up all around us? Um, Well, you know, the way that we have sort of um, slowly grown our organization, I think reflects the fact that you have, you know, we have a number of tools in our toolbox, right, to try to fight back against hate. Um, Initially, we we're just uh, providing legal services to victims of hate crimes. And we still have a, a you know very strong legal team who represents hate crime victims and employment discrimination victims and uh, kids who've been subject to bias in schools and other forms of discrimination. So we have that, you know, we um, uh, try to vindicate individuals' rights. We try to promote cases in the media to raise awareness and, and focus on those sort of individual cases. Um, 
and raise awareness in our community, make sure they understand their rights, whether you are a U.S. service member trying to serve as an observant sick or you're working in the trucking industry. We have a number of know your rights related to sort of sick employment and other types of issues. Um, but we also have an advocacy team. Um, we support stronger hate crime legislation at the federal and state level. We're um, currently working on a couple of different um, supporting different acts that would modernize hate crime reporting practices and other practices related to um, hate crimes. Um, we have a very robust education program. We're working strategically to build more inclusive state education standards. We've actually pushed to have sickism included in the curriculum, not because we are seeking to proselytize the world, but essentially we want people to know and understand who we are mm -hmm. um, in order to build bridges. Um, we provide resources and curricula to teachers. We um, ensure that um, textbooks are factually accurate. Uh, we conduct sick awareness presentations and, tr and also train our community members to do the same for law enforcement, government agencies, schools, private organizations. Sometimes that's in response to a specific bias-related incident, and sometimes we're just proactively trying to um, show people who we are and, and kind of an increase cultural awareness and understanding. So we use, like I said, we use a lot of different tools in our toolbox. We also have a community de community development team that is trying to help the community, empower the community to sort of do things at a very local level and um, micro level in their own communities. Um, so it's a sort of a lot, a lot of different things we try to do. And so how is, how are the legislative, um, you know, how, how are your legislative advocacy um, efforts going as far as trying enacting these, these anti-hate crime laws and things like that on a federal and state level? So, you know, most, um, so we work both at the federal level and at the state level. Most um, states, I, I believe it's only four or five, do not have some form of a hate crime law. Mm -hmm. um, but um, right now, just to give you an example of some of the current work we're working on, um, we support passage of the College Jabara and Heather Hare No Hate Act. Um, and that's an act that would provide incentives for hate crime reporting by state and local law enforcement agencies. Again, getting back to that issue of just, you know, the accuracy of the data. Mm -hmm. um, it would also provide grants for state-run hate crime hotlines and establish alternative sentencing for individuals con convicted under federal hate crime law. Mm -hmm. So things like, you know, a promoting education and community service and things like that, um, which is something that we are actually are very um, – is sort of a very important issue for us. Um, we're currently mobilizing, helping support the sick community in Pennsylvania because there are um, four um, four different um, hate crime bills there that again uh, relate to um, hotlines and um, hate crime reporting and um, providing training to local law enforcement. And so we're working with that community to help improve Pennsylvania state hate crime laws. So those are just some of the, just some of the current things we're working on. So how can other people of faith support the Sikh community in the wake of hate crimes? And, uh, you know, how, how can we as, you know, um, a people of faith, yeah, come together and, and be there for, for example, when a minority person of faith is, uh, being targeted with something like this? You know, I think in whatever way you can, it's so important to promote solidarity every day. Um, you know, for the community that's been uh, 
sort of explicit in things like rejecting that mistaken identity framework, which people were sort of falling into that trap right after 9-11, mm-hmm. um, pushing for these legislative and legal solutions that um, end up helping all religious minorities. For example, you know, we often push for um, accommodation of our religious practices, like the um, we had to work to amend the state California employment discrimination law to promote religious accommodations. Um, but, you know, in a way that it ends up promoting the rights of, of all religious communities, not just six alone. A lot of the, um, for example, the anti-bullying work we do, we partner with a lot of LGBT com- um, community organizations, civil rights orgs as well, mm-hmm. because that's such an impact that uh, that's an issue that impacts their communities. So we really look to try to um, work with people and focus on our um similarities and where our interests align rather mm-hmm. than our differences and, and fight for law and policy that more broadly protects all vulnerable communities rather than just, um, you know, what is politically popular or sort of what's easy. Um, but, you know, these are sort of ways, I think, to just, you know, and in life in general, be an upstander and not a bystander. If you witness something that is, you know, some kind of act of hate or microaggression, um, I think these are all things you can do and it's just, you know, being a thoughtful person and being engaged in your community. Ms. Carr, thanks so much for talking with me today. Thanks for those words um, and appreciate the work you're doing with the Sikh Coalition. Thank you so much, Steve. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Do Justice. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to rate the Do Justice podcast on Apple Podcasts. You can also connect with us on Twitter our Twitter handle is at DoJusticeNow. 